The builders who had been kind of continuously being put off and put off and put off were now ready to go and we needed to, we signed, I was, I had to fly back to sign the building contract with them so that they could commence work. The only issue was that all of the finance hadn't actually kicked into place yet. Joining us back on Backbone is Guy Greenstone, who's the founder of a whole bunch of different things related to alcohol and music and having a great time. Guy, welcome to the show. And uh, what do you do? Because you just listed off all the things that you do, and <laughs> I forgot them almost immediately. <laughs> um, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Um, yeah, we've got a, a few businesses. We've got the local tap house, which is a specialty beer venue in St Kilda. We've got a brewery and beer hall, which is called Stomping Ground, and that's in Collingwood. And we're about to open up a couple of sites, one in Moorabbin and one at the airport. And we have had have had a festival called Gavs, the Great Australasian Beer Spectacular, which we just sold two weeks ago uh, to a uh, fantastic uh, guy who um, sees our vision and wants to take it further and has the bandwidth that we don't. Congratulations. Thank you. We'll, get, we'll talk about that in a moment. Sure. Because selling things is always interesting. Absolutely. I want to start, I start off with a really big question because we're sitting here with two fine beers. I've spent many nights at the local tap house here in St Kilda, um, especially when it starts to get warmer and you're out upstairs outside. It's very nice. I've come to a few of your comedy nights as well no, over great. the years. Um, why do Australians love beer so much? Oh, Jesus, it's a great question. I mean, my question to you is why doesn't everybody love beer so much? <laughs> I, can, I, can, I can completely relate to why people love beer. I can't relate to why they don't. Um, look, it's a... I think Australians ingrained in our personality is a bit of a have-a-go kind of mentality. We're pretty, uh, um, pretty grounded on the whole, pretty easygoing. And I think if you had to sort of assign a personality to beer, it would be your mate. You know, it wouldn't yeah. be it wouldn't be you know the the high um, maintenance individual. It would be you know one of the one of the pe- people that you like to kick around with. So I think um, Aussies have an affinity for beer because it's just it just you know it sort of aligns with our personality what alcohol would you relate to high maintenance friends (laughs) oh i don't know i mean look it's it's, complex malbec well i guess so i mean you know like uh you know a cognac i guess or maybe um some i look i mean i love i love a lot of different types of alcohol and and obviously at the local tap house we have some um great whiskies and we have um some gins and we have like lovely wines but beer is definitely my um my go-to beverage it has probably 90 percent share of throat i'd like to say like <laughs> um, but, soft I, KPI. <laughs> but i um look i think you know beer is your mate beer is your buddy beer is the burden you want to kick around with and, and have a good time with it seems that over the last probably decade being able to be involved in the business of beer has become accessible for your regular person who just likes it and wants to get involved and you've seen this emergence of craft breweries um that are now you know they're now entire pubs with 40 50 taps of all you know just promoting that they're craft breweries what's that meant for the average person who likes to just drink beer and socialize it's meant a plethora of choice it's meant a little bit of confusion at the shelf or at the tap uh, there's a lot of option and, and it's very hard to navigate and know what's good and what's not and what's independent and what isn't what's mass produced and what's made locally it's also meant fantastic uh, variety and, uh, and and a great sort of flavor flavor um, v- a variety of flavors and uh, yeah and a lot of choice 
And for somebody who essentially makes a living off the consumption of beer and the, the consumption of alcohol, <laughs> has it made your life easier or harder? Oh, gee whiz. Uh, it, it, it's, it's both because it's a bit of a two-edged sword because, I mean, it, it's a product that I've been in love with for a very long time, ever since I had my beer epiphany um, snowboarding in Canada and, and fell in love with this amazingly multi-product um, um, it was a was a like a brown ale that just had full malt character, and I just thought, wow, how good is this? Um, it's something that um, you know you have to be careful not to overdo, for sure. And it's definitely an occupational hazard to sort of um, make sure that you you got your checks and balances in place. And um, I have to exercise a hell of a lot so that I'm <laughs> so that I'm not the size of a house. I got a friend who says uh, I barely eat and I drink my carbs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's it's about you know, it's fat. <clears throat> pardon me. It's about finding balance, and uh, it, it, it is it is a challenge because it's something that you love so much. But obviously, too much of it is is not a good thing. So you have to you have to be very careful to not. Um, I've seen in hospitality and in brewing, I've seen a lot of people who um, end up just going a bit too bit too hard, and, yeah. and it's not it's not good long term. Let's talk about the hospitality business and, sure. and and what this emergence of new beer has meant. Um, your beer epiphany as you just explained it, was that the moment where you said, you know what, I'm going to make my living out of this? No, I don't think so. Um, when I had my beer epiphany, it was it was more like, you know what, I'm going to drink great beer from now on and I'm not <laughs> going to drink stuff that's boring and bland and I'm going to seek out... You I, know, bought, I bought a can of Carlton Draft last night. Just, just, And I know that's considered the boring and bland in Victoria. It, just, to, just to prove to my wife, who likes you know, a little bit more fancier stuff, that it's still okay. Yeah, I you know what? Through, I, only I, had, got, I only got through half the can. Really? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I had one on tap the other day, and i got to say, I actually didn't think it was so bad. You know, I actually quite enjoyed it. And I thought, you know what? It's a, it's a drinkable... It is what it is. ...pale lager, and it's, it's not pretending to be anything it's not. And um, look, I, I spent many years before my beer epiphany drinking... All sorts of mainstream beers, whether it was uh, Tui's New or Carlton Draft or, or whatever. And I've even drunk Coronas. Um, is that I th- like, in your world, is that like, <laughs> I even stoop so low to put a lime in my beer? Oh, well, <laughs> that's a, or a pure blonde, even. <laughs> but um, no, I think that's about it. But the reality is, I, this is the way I like to see it. All beer is good. Some beer is better. So I prefer not to sort of um, tear strips off any, any, um, any beer. And I think there's a place for a beer, you know, there's a beer for everyone. And ultimately, it's personal taste and it's what resonates with you as a consumer. I, you know, I have my particular views, but I mean, thank God we're all different, right? Otherwise, it'd be a boring place. What was your first beer business? Uh, well, first business in beer, and it wasn't my beer business, was uh, as a chemical engineer straight out of uni. Uh, my first job was with a, a big multinational brewer, which was at, uh, at the Lidcombe Brewery in massive massive monolithic sort of brewery in uh, i think it was the biggest brewery in australia at the time and i'm not mucking around (laughs) yeah and i I was i was working as a brewing engineer in in a very you know various parts of the process sometimes infiltration fermentation maturation um and i loved working with it and in and around it it was fantastic pardon me um that's the problem with drinking beer beer when you do a podcast (laughs) isn't it (laughs) Yeah, well, I suppose it gets the conversation flowing, but <laughs> you have to put up with the, with the uh, blow out the mouth slowly. <laughs> yeah, so that was my first foray into the into the world, you know, commercial world of beer, I guess. Um, there's a moment in time where you say, "I'm sick of working for somebody else." What yeah. happened? Uh, look, I, I worked 
I worked for them for five and a half years and I actually really loved working for that company. Um, they had great people processes. They had a lot of passionate and talented people and I learned a hell of a lot and I still have contact with some of the people that I worked with back then. Uh, a lot of people like to bag out the big boys um, and, you know, and, and as, a, as a small brewer it's quite frustrating at some of the, some of the tactics and the, and the power that, um, that the big brewers have. But at the end of the day, it's still made up of humans and, and you know, people that are passionate and doing what they want to do. Um, so, yeah, so I learned a hell of a lot. But it was time for me, after five and a half years of moving around the business, I got into corporate strategy. I spent a bit of time there. I moved into sales and had a bit of a stint in sales there uh, for a while as well. I was, trying, I was on a graduate program, so I was learning different aspects of the business. And then there was an opportunity to go to Sydney to become a brand manager. Um, and I was down in Melbourne. I'd moved down to Melbourne with sales, but I'd met a girl, and I'd oh. and I'd fallen in and love. And she wasn't beer. And she, well, she was beer, but she wasn't Sydney. <laughs> and uh, and so I wasn't quite ready to just leave just yet, even though I, you know, um, I just met her, and I wasn't ready to go up there. So decided to take another role in in finance instead of getting into brand management and. Uh, and that's how I kind of learned the world of finance. And I ended up that girl I got married to, and now we have two kids, a nine-year-old and a five-year-old. Congratulations. And, and uh, it was a very good decision, I have to say, retrospectively. I'm uh, two things. I mean, your family must be an important part of a business like this because all your businesses have to do with community. Yes, massively. That, I mean, you've hit the nail on the head. Community and community building is fundamental to what we do um, obviously beer is front and center and it's um it's the product it's it's the thing we're all massively passionate about but community um is is hugely important in every one of the businesses so the local tap house it's a neighborhood bar um it's always and even in the name it's it's the local that's a place that is your local it's like you I, live nearby 80 percent of the time i've been here i've recognized I know, i've known someone yeah so it's it's a place you can walk to you can come on your own you can come with a group and you can feel comfortable and welcome and that's what it's all about um, and then of course uh, Gabs it's about a beer community it's about a community of brewers it's about a community of festival goers and uh, we've nurtured that community it's also a community of volunteers we have you know hundreds of volunteers that help us every year some volunteers met at Gabs volunteering and they end up getting married having met um, and so awesome. there's a, there's a and, and some have you know volunteered every single festival so eight years in a row um, and uh, and then of course stomping ground is is really about being part. Of, it's a it's a community brewery, so it's um, it's in the heart of, of the area that in in which it resides. But also on top of that, it's a it's a it's a larger community of, of Melbourne, and then beyond that, it's a it's a community of it's a global community, and we take that responsibility very seriously to be sustainable in our practices, to try and minimise our footprint, to try and. Uh, do the right thing by the greater community, and sometimes we make decisions that aren't particularly commercial, but they're the right thing for the community. Is that is that the the sign that you're living that value? You know, we could have made more money, but we didn't because it didn't tick our values box. Absolutely, hundred percent. There's there's a lot of decisions that we make like that. Whether it's partnering with a uh, like in a philanthropic way with a with a particular organisation. A, a perfect example is um, there's this this fantastic organisation called Scarf that we partner with. And they put uh, they put a whole bunch of trainees that are asylum seekers through hospitality training, and we support them with donations of beer, but also with a, a placement for for their uh, 
graduates. Right. And we love to support them in every way we can. And we're, we're just starting to do more and more with them because we just think that the work that they do is phenomenal. It's, it's small, it's very local, it's very Melbourne, but it's giving asylum seekers a chance where they've been unemployed, they've had some sometimes horrific background stories and and now this is a new opportunity for um, for a new life for them and and they just embrace it and take the bull by the horns and go for it and, and to be able to um, do these sorts of things for for community uh, groups is probably something it's probably one of the most rewarding things that we do the um the community that i'm very involved in is the finance community and the accounting community <laughs> and I can't help but think about how weird it is to go from beer engineering and then choosing two options of brand management, which would make sense, or finance. (laughs) Now, I'm proud that you chose finance, (laughs) and I'll take the credit that it's the finance and accounting skills that got you to where you are, and we'll explore that a little bit. (laughs) But how'd you choose finance of all of these? Like, honestly, they're sexier. Yeah, well, I mean... Let's just say that finance is a very broad term and it encompasses a lot of things. It encompasses everything from accounting and, and account management, uh, sort of accounting, uh, management accounting, to lending and um, and you know and, and stocks and all that sort of stuff. So it's a very broad term. My particular one was the great lead. way to distance yourself from the nerdy accounts. <laughs> by the way, well done. <laughs> my, my my foray into the world of finance was probably in the least sexy part of of the entire industry. It was equipment finance. Oh, we were financing equipment um, for business, but you know what? Even though it was probably the least sexy part of the finance industry, it gave me a tremendous amount of insight into small business. And not only the people that were selling equipment and how their businesses work, but every single end user, end customer, and what makes their business tick and why they needed the equipment. And I think I just have an insatiable um, uh, thirst for knowledge and I couldn't help um, asking every single customer and company that I was helping um, about what makes their business tick. And for me, it was a really strong... um, uh, apprenticeship and insight into into the world of business and it, it gave me exposure to so many different types of business do you think that that you know in my world we talk about financial literacy and we get worried about it through that process did you start to think geez like these businesses could be doing better if they knew their numbers better um you know i don't know if, if i ever had that sort of thought i thought it was it was more i think i was sort of more just learning i was like wow okay so these guys start with this product and then they finish with that product and then they sell it and 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 their customers do this and and with you know with that particular piece of equipment they can then do that and then and just understanding that the dynamics of of small medium and large business and what makes them all tick so i think that was more more like it i I, my real interest in accounting and the accounting side of finance really only developed um, when I started to get into my own business. How? Well, I mean, all of a sudden I was, I was in the business and, and we were doing pretty simple stuff, um, which is the simplest but the most complicated in the world, which is, you know, hospitality. We were ultimately just selling food and bev and, and you know, entertainment. But you've got to get it right. And there's so many different variables that you have to get right. And so I started taking an interest in, in the books because I had of, of the people involved, I was probably um, the closest to, to the numbers, having the background in finance and had, having been the only one out of us that had actually read and understood a P&L before. <laughs> 
Um, and and so it's magic. It's sort of just we like it when you don't understand. <laughs> so it just ended up falling on me, and then and then what I started looking at is some of the drivers of profitability and understanding that if you manage your cogs well and just you know a one percent change in your cogs had a pretty significant impact to the bottom line, and so doing stock takes was then therefore important, and you know these sorts of things or um, managing your wages was important. So instead of just sort of accepting whatever whatever the the status quo was looking at wages as a percentage of turnover and saying why is it higher this week and last week are we not rostering correctly um, how are we going to drive sales is it through promotions what are our, what's our pricing like what are our margins like um, and and that's when I started really and and then and then of course those are the, those are the key sort of variable um, the, the variables in 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 your in your PNL. but then what about all your other costs and fix is there a way of driving those down and can can kind of be a lot of fun. <laughs> you ain't, you'd be a dream client for me if you think that's fun. <laughs> I think most accountants would love to have you uh, if you, if that's the way that you think. I'm curious, like throughout the journey, like you've done a lot and you've had a lot going on at each point in time. Have you ever had a moment where you've thought, "Oh, I'm in way too far here"? Yeah, well, I mean, it's happened a couple of times. Um, I mean, you were talking about going all in. Um, there was one. All my first all in was. After being in a finance role for, for five and a half years, um, I was making a lot of money, but I wasn't really enjoying what I was doing anymore. And uh, I'd been investing in shares, and I'd, I'd invested in some property, and I'd done it right, like for a relatively young person. And it was it was a big decision when I had the opportunity to go into into business. I basically sold everything and went all in, and it was like now's the time i'd read all the books like the robert kiyosaki rich dad poor dad and um and some of these other ones and it was like okay this is i've got an opportunity the time has come to just go all in and uh and cash all the chips in which wasn't very many chips but it was enough there were enough chips to sort of um have a go and um and get into business and and that's um the local tap house kind of was the result of that thank you <laughs> I've had a great memory, sir. <laughs> Good. The, uh, well, along with my business partner, of course, who, who, who was obviously massively instrumental in the whole thing. And the, does it? You innovate a lot. I mean, you've you've run. They're essentially, I'm going to call it a music festival, but it's an ex- experience. It's festival, a beer festival. It's a, beer it's festival. a craft beer festival with entertainment. And you've got venues. You've got leases that you negotiate. Supply chains you manage. I, how many staff have you got? A couple of hundred odd? Uh, we've got a hundred, about 110, but it's about to swell to about 150, 60. That's, that's a tough thing to manage. You deal with their emotions as much as you deal with their payroll Absolutely. very often. Um, you get to these things and you, have you ever thought, I don't have the right partners with me here? Never. Um, we're very lucky. We've got, um, we've got a very strong partnership and a, a very strong team. When I say partners, I'm talking about suppliers. Oh, okay. The network of people who are helping you get your vision out there into the world? Um, yeah, I mean, we've had to change, you know, we've had to change, uh, you know, consultants from time to time <laughs> if they haven't quite performed or, the, you know, the, the, their level of expertise isn't, isn't at the level that we need it to be. And that's happened from time to time. Um, and it's always been pretty amicable. It, it happens from time to time. But you need really great advisors around you. And that's basically lawyers, accountants, um, uh, in, in our case, architects and designers, yeah. um, town planners. I've actually always thought that this the locals kind of like just always look the way it looks. 
That's the point. It's supposed to look like it's been here for 100 years. It, it does. <laughs> Good. Yeah, but, Tick. but the carpets aren't that sticky, so that's <laughs> nice. um, I am aware of a moment where a bank let you down and judo saved you. <laughs> yeah. It's a leading question. Well, actually, first of all, I mean, that, that, that was pretty recent. Um, and, but I think, I think the moment that you're talking about, the one that we were speaking about off air, uh, was was a moment that uh, it was it was a it was a, a pretty crazy time and just to paint the context um, and uh, paint the picture we we had three fest uh, four fe- three festivals uh, Melbourne Sydney Auckland for Gabs and we were in between um, Melbourne and Sydney or was it Sydney and Melbourne yeah we were in between Sydney and Auckland I can't remember I had to fly back to Melbourne and I flew back to Melbourne what we had done is we'd already found a site for stomping ground. We've been working on this for a very long time. We'd finally got the approvals in place for from council, which had taken 11 months instead of the three months, four months that they were supposed to. I've never heard anyone say, <laughs> oh, yeah, it went exactly as we thought it would. It was, yeah, it was great. <laughs> and, um, and so we were already bleeding money because we were, we'd had a rent-free period that we'd well and truly um, you know, um, used up and, and we're now paying rent. Um, and we still had to develop the place. And... The builders who had been kind of continuously being put off and put off and put off were now ready to go, and we needed. To, we signed. I was. I had to fly back to sign the building contract with them so that they could commence work. You know, the following week on the Monday, and the very first progress payment was going to be work. You know, due in, in two weeks' time. The only issue was that all of the finance hadn't actually kicked into place yet no biggie <laughs> we'd gone to the bank and we'd said this is how much we want to borrow and they'd said well we'll lend you about you know 70 percent of that uh, and we didn't have enough money to put in the other 30 percent so we had to go to investors and uh, when we um when we approached the investors they said yeah we love it this is fantastic we're in but we want to make sure you get that bank funding first and then the bank just dicked us around for something like six months it was six months before they finally were ready to go so i had to fly down to Melbourne, sign a contract with a builder without the banking finance already in place. I've signed a lease on the premises. The rent-free period is used up. We've used up all of our cash reserves. We've gone, again, all in, and we still haven't secured the bank finance, and we still (laughs) haven't secured the investor (laughs) finance as a result, even though they'd said yes, yes, yes. Both parties had said yes, 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 and it was technically just a formality, but it hadn't happened. And I thought, this guy's going to break my legs if I can't pay him in two weeks' time. <laughs> he didn't look like the kind of guy that you could kind of screw around. But, thank goodness, it all finally, um, you know, all started to fall into place. But it was a very stressful time trying to execute the festival right in the heart of, of you know, um, peak festival um, activation where you're not sleeping, you don't, you've got massive stress to get everything right there. And then at the same time... Um, you've got another uh, a building that's about to be developed, signing, you know, and, and it's all running late and costing more than it's supposed to be costing. Um, that's I, I reckon that was 2016. I think it was one of the hardest years of my life. What helped you get through that? Oh, jeez. Um, judo did that deal, didn't they? No, they they came they came to the party much later. Um, they, judo came to the party. They were they were amazing. Um, when we started working on the next project, which is the Moorabbin project, and I, the writing was on the wall that these guys were going to, um, our incumbent was going to um, screw us around again. You know, it was basically history repeating itself. 
we weren't prepared to go down that path again. So that's when I became aware of Judo's existence and contacted them. And they got to know my business in probably four meetings better than our incumbent got to know our business in about 12 years of, of working with them. And how, mentally, your own mental health, how's that? N- now it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Ask me then, um, you know, right in the heat of things, I, it was, I was stressed. I was stressed to the eyeballs. I wasn't sleeping. I was waking up in the middle of the night, um, you know, with nightmares going, you know, it's all going to come crashing down around me. Um, but you fast forward and, you know, sometimes you just got to take risk. And um, it was a calculated risk. Um, you know, there was a lot that was in favour of it all working out, but it w- wouldn't have taken much for the timing to just not quite align for it all come crashing down. How do you, how, do you have sort of a routine or, or rituals or tools that you use when you're at sort of peak, peak stress? Because business is stressful and I've got a, a sneaky feeling that you're going to do something again at some point in the next five years where you're going to go all in again. <laughs> um, look, I this is getting completely off um, finance topic, but yes, I do. I... Um, I, I mean, everybody, everybody copes with things a little bit differently. Personally, I, I've found that when I'm in um, good physical condition, um, my mental condition follows. So I really look after myself when it comes to um, training. I, I train five, six times a week. Um, I'm pretty, uh, for the last three years, I, I went through a rut where I was, you know, just doing nothing for a few years and feeling, um, you know, fat and feeling shit. But then, um, but since then... Um, I found my groove again. I used to do a lot of triathlons. I still do a few. I like to do a couple over summer. But aside from that, I, I, I like training. It kind of gets my um, the endorphins going yeah. and, and my mental health um, follows. And, and so the physical condition improves. It means I start eating better. I don't drink as much because I know I've got to wake up the next morning and do something. And I just end up being a better person. So that that's kind of my go-to strategy for, for coping with um, with stress is making sure that I'm looking after myself. It's so funny like you say that. I, I started swimming about six months ago mm-hmm. and it had a dramatic positive impact on my life. And the reason I started doing it, when Miles from finance now, but I don't really care. I think, <laughs> I think that the, fundamentally you get the mental health right in your business, your, your business is 30% better at least. Like it is phenomenal. And what I worked out was somebody tried to get me to do meditation and I just struggled. I got it. I recognised it as valuable, but I really struggled. Even with those guided apps, I downloaded Headspace. I just couldn't do it. What I realised was it was all about breathing. Mm. Swimming, you don't breathe, you drown. <laughs> you have <laughs> so to you breathe. So you've got this added urgency that's put into the whole thing mm. and started to love it. And, and similarly to you, started to notice performance improvement throughout mm. my day. More consistent moods, stop lashing out at people. You come home, you're thrilled to see your kids. Mm. You've got a daughter. Mm-hmm. It's uh, made a huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, everybody finds their little groove, um, you know, uh, somewhere, whatever it is. I mean, for some people, meditation really works. One of my best mates meditates for 10 or 15 minutes every morning and loves it. Um, and, and so if that works for you, that's fantastic. My, thing, my go-to has always been exercise. And, yeah. uh, and, and also, the, the, the other one is audiobooks. I, I love listening. I used to, I, I'm a, a prolific reader. I love reading. 
But the problem is that um, as I'm now in my mid-40s and my eyesight's not... not <laughs> I mean, it's still pretty good, but it's not as great as it used to be. And also just having that light Beer on... goggles, mate. <laughs> having light on at night is not, is not great. And especially, if, you know, your partner's trying to sleep or she's trying to read while I'm trying to sleep. So um, I've started listening to audiobooks and I've got this little sleep function on, on the Audible app that you just put it on and you set it to 8 minutes or 15 minutes. What are you listening to now? Actually, funnily enough, it's a book about sleep. <laughs> it's the, about the Huffington book. It's about it's the science behind why we sleep and right. and and uh, mental regeneration and uh, and the difference in REM sleep and MREM sleep and all sorts of stuff. I want to change tack quite a bit. You're sure, in, you're involved in the food and, and you're involved in hospitality and the future of food's fascinating to me. Like we, you know, gastro pub has been around for a long time. We've got foodie culture all throughout Australia. South Australia markets it, Victoria markets it, Melbourne's laneway, Sydney market it, markets it through uh, the Blue Mountains and, and, and through the wine regions that they've got around Riverina region as well. Where do you reckon the future of food is going in Australia and, and how are we experiencing that? You know, I know just you walk up the street at the local tap house, um, the amount of cafes that have opened up up Carlisle Street, I mean, that's a, that's a bit of a mecca for some of Melbourne's cafes. Yeah, it is. And I think... I think the trend in food is actually not a million miles away from the trend in beer or the trend in wine or the trend in spirits. I think people, what people care about is provenance and they care about quality. They care about the story behind it. They care about where it's produced, who produced it, the terroir behind it, if you like, um, and you know the ethical, um, ethical nature of it as well as we become much more conscious of, of looking after our planet and the fact that we've only got one. Um, so food... Uh, and I think more broadly, um, the things that we consume, people are really caring about um, about the provenance. And so I think the trend is going to continue to go towards local, towards ethically sourced, ethically produced. And I think that's no different in, like I said, in, in wine, in beer, in spirits. And I think that's a great thing. I think it's... Uh, I think it makes sense in, um, intuitively, but also from an ecological footprint, minimising transport, minimising um, processing, minimising the need to um, put preservatives in something because it doesn't need to last as long because it doesn't have, need to travel as far. Yeah. So the whole farm-to-table concept is something that I, th- I see continuing. Um, people growing things or estate growing. So you, um, one of my favourite places... Um, is a place called Three Blue Ducks um, at the farm in Byron Bay. Well, it's actually Ewingsdale, just up the road. Yeah. It's actually one of my best mates whose um, who's venue it is. And uh, they do things brilliantly. They, they source everything either organic if they can. If not, then it's local and ethical. And the the way they construct their menu and 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 everything is just it's just everything is is from around the area and and it's just so lovingly and caringly put together, and then they back it up with fantastic wine and a beer and of course as locally sourced as they possibly can get. Does it to me that favours small business? I think so because you're local, you're agile, you're responsive to what's available right now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Agreed, and that's. Uh, I think that you you're seeing a lot of in in the drinks space, in the food space. I think you're seeing a lot of an emergence of independent operators that are actually able to, and and this is the hard thing. At, w- at what scale is um, is too big, and also the other thing I'd say is 
I remember doing a subject at uni. I'm going back a long way. Um, where we talk about this concept of intergenerational equity um, and, and um, uh, intergenerational uh, sort of equality. So when we're using resources from the earth, um, we're not necessarily assigning the true cost to them because we're kind of paying not very much now and future generations are going to have to pay a hell of a lot more as we diminish these resources. And, and so I think that while locally produced um, goods might be a little bit more expensive, I think that kind of reflects the true cost in some ways um, because this m mass-produced um, stuff that ends up being cheaper because it's done on such a big scale and so efficiently is actually not as good for the planet when it's done more sustainably um, with, uh, with uh, less impact on the environment. Look, I think that's a great message to end on. There is no planet B, as my favourite band, King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard, like to say. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of business owners listening out there. Final message? Oh, geez. Um, I th oh, for me, uh, the only way... Business is not something that I'm, I would consider myself an expert in. I'm, I'm an expert in beer. I'm an expert in hospitality. I'm an expert in, um, in, in, in people. And I think the business side of things has just kind of happened. So I think, I, th I think if you're ever going to be successful in business, it, it needs to be something that you're passionate about and something that an area that you really understand and believe in and, and love um, because otherwise it's very hard to be authentic and real about it and, and turn it into something that's all-consuming. Um, it, you know, it consumes so much of your life, you, you may as well be passionate about it. I've been thinking of the final way to end this interview the entire time, and the only thing I can't do is cheers. Cheers, and another beer. You yeah. ready? <laughs> cheers, mate. Thanks, mate.